Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. Thank you so much for joining us this week. You're going to be really glad you did. I am super excited about this week's interview. Jasmine will be speaking with Amy Kichis. She is the founder of Veggie Mijas, which is a woman of color collective that highlights the importance of veganism through the lens of those with marginalized identities. I bet you're excited now, too. Did you love this interview? Jasmine? I loved it. Yeah. And we've we we've actually for a bunch of reasons been holding it to air at the end of the year just because we wanted to, you know, uh, put something super strong at the end of the year. So I'm really excited about it. I've been excited for a long time. And on this week's flock bonus content, I'll also be continuing my conversation with Amy. So as always, if you're a flock member, you will get a link to the bonus segment in your email on the Tuesday after this podcast episode goes up. Or you can always find it on the Flock Facebook group. And if you're not a member of the Flock and you can afford it, you can join for $10 a month at ourhenhouse.org or $100 a year. And still, until December 31st, donations are tripled. So we are in like the big giant end of year push. To clarify, they're tripled if we make it. Yeah. If we make it. So if we make the total they, of uh, 20,000. Yeah. So every donation up to 20,000 is is tripled. And we have to make that 20,000 for that to kind of go into effect. So it's stressful. It's always stressful this time of year. It's always exciting. But like, you know, as we're recording this, we're not there like by any means. We still have a ways to go. You know, I feel like I've been sort of waiting for the launch of my book to like really focus on how stressed I am about this. (laughs) But now that the book is launched, I am like all about us making this goal because we need pro animal responsible vegan media more than ever before. So if you can make a donation, then please do so. And we will be so grateful to you. We are like glued to our computers uh, trying to make this happen. So ourhenhouse.org slash donate. And there's some really great perks that we've been offering as well if you become a Flock member. Actually, one of them is our Flock Friday Zoom calls. And that's really, we started to do that to help us all get through this troubling time. And they're on Fridays, obviously. That's why they call them Flock Friday. And they're at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Sometimes we have guests. Recently, we had uh, Yolanda Alvarez who updated us about about the animal scene in Puerto Rico. And sometimes we just have a chat, but they're always, always good. And if you're a member of the Flock, you can check out the Flock Facebook group for updates, or you can always write to us at info at ourhenhouse.org. So fun. Yeah. So you've got that. You've got the bonus content every week. You could join our Flock Facebook group, as we said. And for people who are making a donation of $100 or more, I'm also sending you a personalized video. So which I have to do today. And I realized I'm like still totally in my pajamas. And so uh, I just want to give some appreciation to the flock because you're the reason I get dressed. (laughs) Waste up anyway. Right. (laughs) Waste (laughs) up. I assure you I am dressed ways down when I'm doing those videos. (laughs) But uh, I wouldn't necessarily be so, you know, as together as I, (laughs) as you see me. Well, especially right now, since as always for the past year, I have no place to go, but it's actually fairly hard to get out of the house. Oh my gosh. Two feet of snow in upstate New York. 
I, I think I only got 18 inches. Yes, we have more than you, even though we're a half hour north of you. It was an important half hour. And it's been interesting, to say the least. It's lovely. Like, it's beautiful. It is It's more... beautiful snow. I mean, there's yes. snow and then there's snow. This is like really, really fluffy, uh, beautiful. And it's been cold out since then. And yeah, it's to be appreciated until you actually have to make your way through it. <laughs> to... So uh, I have to tell you, when we first got it and like, you know, I just moved back from L.A. Like, this is the opposite of L.A. is outside right now. I have these three little dogs and I was trying to figure out how they can like go outside and, you know, do their business. And so thankfully the driveway was plowed by, you know, whoever plows the driveway. It's a rental, so I'm not sure. But magically the driveway was plowed and I had to like go in snow drifts that were to my waist to get from (laughs) like the front door to the driveway to like put them down to do their business. Thank God you didn't drop them. You may have never seen them again. Well, I I know, but I did kind of fall at one point, but I kept, I was holding one little dog. I kept the dog like above the snow. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I sort of fell onto my knees. It wasn't painful. It was because I was in all that snow. But like, I'm sure it looked ridiculous if you were looking from across the street or something that like this woman suddenly fell and there was just this like hand holding a dog through the snow. It was bananas. So, yes, it's it an is adventure. beautiful. Though. Yes, it's gorgeous. Love it. now. I love the seasons. It's one of the, the reasons I wanted to move back here, because I feel like yeah. if you're going to go, go big. And going big is definitely two feet of snow. Yeah, I have no idea what the climate implications are here. I'm sure there's a bad reason this is happening, but I'm going to enjoy it while it's here. And, it's you good, know, it's, it's uh, always nice to have lesson. a white Christmas. I think they wrote a song about that once. Uh, I think Christmas that's is, true. Christmas is coming up instantaneously. So... It's all mm-hmm. it's all good. It's all good. I do you have plans for Christmas. Actually, this airs after Christmas. So I'm just looking at the calendar right now. Christmas happened. So how was Christmas for you? Oh, <laughs> this, I, looked, this I airs... guess I looked at the calendar and I got it wrong. I'm sorry, everybody. I hope you had a great Christmas. Yeah, Christmas was amazing. I just it was really special. Uh, and and yes, remember that it was a white Christmas. So, you know, I have to tell you, I was listening to this other podcast, this Gretchen Rubin's Happier podcast, and she and her sister recorded together and they had the same issues that we had like around the election. So they were like, I just want you to know we're recording this before the election, but it airs after the election. So we're not going to talk about oh, it yeah, at a, all. A, a lot of podcasts are, you know, yeah. they are, are honest about being recorded, you know, not more than five minutes before you're hearing it. So right. we're not the only ones who tell the truth. I did have a nice Hanukkah and I will have a nice Christmas. By the time this airs, I did have a nice Christmas. You are definitely a big part of that. So, oh, uh, so and I've been enjoying watching, watching those movies with you. What's the movie we're in the middle of right now that it happened one night? Is No, no. We're, what? <laughs> Wait, what's it called? What's it called? It's I'm called blanking. We're No Angels. It is We're completely no angels. unrelated. Completely unrelated to It Happened One Night, which is a great right. movie, but has nothing to do with Christmas. <laughs> yes, I was blank. I was getting them confused. But uh, so I am enjoying like the the Hanukkah and Christmas film festivals that we're doing together. That's fun. Yeah, we've mostly done Hanukkah at this point. I have a few more Christmas ones. I mean, I've seen a few Christmas movies, but I don't think you have. No, I have. Do you have any favorites? Well, I mean, I watched Happiest Season, which is like the first like gay movie that I think Netflix uh, was it Netflix did it or Hulu. 
and and anyway, I watched it and it was it was I don't know. It was like fine. I mean, there are some great old Christmas movies. I mean, I like know, Weird Al Angels is from the 50s and it's Humphrey that Bogart. One's good, but and, like it's weird, but it's good. And there are some great Christmas movies, but the Christmas movies they make nowadays are mostly like they're soothing and I understand their purpose, but they're largely, of course, as everyone knows, really bad, <laughs> like really bad. They have bad acting. The thing about Happiest Season, which is which is Hulu, is that it's just like like a coming out story and the, the two women in it, one is Kristen Stewart, are in their 30s. And it's just a little weird, like that that's the like the LGBTQ community. We're all supposed to be like, yay, we have a movie that's like a, a rom-com holiday Hallmark style movie. And it's like, really, that's where we're at. The sort of like 20 years ago, we were dealing with the coming out stories in the media. But I digress. It's still cute. It just was a little eye roll worthy. And while we're on the subject of like media that I'm consuming. Well, this was the week. Finally, you've been talking about it for a year, but this was it. Oh, I wasn't going to go there yet, but let me just, speaking of vegan lesbians, then then we could talk about what I think you're talking about. I was watching The Connors again, and there was yet another vegan mention on it. And it wasn't even a thing. It was just like, oh, yeah, it's vegan. Like, it wasn't like, but um bump And I, I know I've brought this up before, but it happened again. So I love The Connors. Okay. You, however, were just talking about the great big media event of 2020. <laughs> yeah, the absolute pinnacle. And it really is, as far as I'm concerned. Your book finally came out. Yes. Uh, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And why do books take so long? It's so frustrating. Isn't it dumb? It's like, especially when we're busy making like podcasts every week. And like, we know media can be made quickly and and put out there quickly. But books take, this took three years. It's the Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan. It has loads of information in it. And it actually feels like the information is relatively up to date in spite of books taking a long time. It's incredibly, this is an incredibly useful book because up here, I've seen some people online calling it a, a cookbook. And it is that it has great recipes in it. Thank God you didn't. You it's didn't not a cookbook. Them. And <laughs> that's what's going to be my point. It has some great recipes in there and that will draw people in. But that is just one millionth of what is in this book. Like yeah. the recipes are good, but the real meat, so to speak, of the matter is the text. I mean, it's just it's just all about the millions of reasons why it's great and fun and fabulous to be vegan. Mm -hmm. And it's that's the part that you wrote. You didn't, as I mentioned, don't worry, don't worry. She didn't write the recipes. Thank God. It's amazing. It, it's amazing because it, it, the the spirit of it is you know, your usual spirit, a little snarky, a little funny, but with loads and loads of information. And it's the perfect, it's the perfect gift. I guess, I guess that moment has passed. Not really, because you could still get it. And I guess by the time this airs, Christmas is over. But you know, why not still give gifts, especially if they're vegan gifts? New Year's gifts. It's a thing this year, New Year's gifts. And it's a great way to start off a new year for anybody. And especially this year, which, you know, I think everybody in the world is hoping to sort of change, <laughs> turn the page on mm -hmm. the last year. And what a great way to turn the page. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. Wow. What a segue. Because what we had planned is that I will open this book at random. There are many different chapters. They're all on different aspects of thinking about veganism, mm -hmm. going vegan, knowing stuff about being vegan, why you should be vegan, how great it is to be vegan, all of that. Some of it's about food. Some of it's about ethics mm -hmm. some of it's about 
the horrors of animal agriculture. Somehow you managed to get in there without it being too horrible. And um, I'm just going to open it at random. Thank you, by the way. I really appreciate that. You're you're really definitely speaking to the heart of what I was trying to get across. And thank you for making all of those points because, you know, there are also recipes in it, which and, and I know a lot of people are latching onto those. And I'm glad they are because the best way to advocate for veganism is through delicious vegan food. But I do get into those hard hitting issues, animal law, factory farming, climate change, world hunger, the economics of meat, milk and eggs, things like that, but in a pretty pink package. <laughs> so these these excerpts, you know, they, they have to be put into context. So I'm going to read the excerpt and then you're going to provide the context. This is from day 17 because this is a, a 30 day plan. And the name of this chapter is Friends and Parents and Sweeties. Oh, my. And this is the, the paragraph that my finger pointed to when I randomly, I swear, randomly opened it. Does this mean you need to break up with the people in your life who aren't vegan? Nope, it doesn't, unless you want to, in which case you do you. But it might be useful to have a few extra tools in your kit so that you can best navigate the social aspects of this whole new world, especially as it impacts your close relationships. Okay, give us a riff on that. This is hard, like what you're asking from me, because it is totally random what you're doing. Uh, yeah, I think that that chapter was about the sort of social implications of going vegan and whether that means you have to change all of your friends. You know, you don't, but you can. But <laughs> I do make the point that you will likely expand your circle of friends. I make the point, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I talk about the fact like that your family might not go vegan and that doesn't need to be the hill you die on. You can still uh, veganize lots of people in your life and inspire them and your family might go vegan. But uh, it's it just talks about like how we need to find and foster safe spaces regardless. You know, I was I was interviewed for something the other day uh, for Robbie Lockie's podcast, the plant based news podcast. And he said he gets a lot of emails from listeners who are talking about like that their kids, their teenagers and they want to go vegan, but they they can't. And uh, um, and he asked me if I had advice for them. And that's tough. And I think like we have to find and foster safe spaces even when we're kids in, and recognize that sometimes things are temporary, including the subpar situations we might be in, especially if you're a teenager and you're listening to this and you want to go vegan and you don't have the support of your family. So I think those are some of the things I get into, but it's a fun chapter. It moves quickly. It gives some some really straightforward advice, things like that. And Okay, here's my second random choice. This is from a chapter entitled Vegan Does Not Equal Ugly Plastic Shoes. Of course, another industry ripe with horrific cruelty is fur. And some cities, especially in California, are even banning the sale and sometimes the sale and production of it. These include West Hollywood, Berkeley, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. Across the country in fashion mecca New York City, pending legislation has been introduced which, if passed would follow suit, banning the sale of cruelly begotten animal skins. Hmm. So this chapter is about the fact that so many people think that uh, if you're vegan, then your shoes are going to be just like cheap plastic that will like disintegrate in the snow. And Or does this still happen? Do you remember the days when people would say, well, what are your shoes made of? As if right, of they course. have to be made of leather and therefore you're an incredible hypocrite for yes. wanting people not to torture animals. <laughs> yes, exactly. I do remember that. That is in there. But it's talking about like the fact that like, mm, yeah, I mean, I guess we can go the sort of cheap plastic route. Uh, 
though, you know, there's a lot of toil on the environment by making some of those choices. So I do recommend, you know, hitting up your local Goodwill when when that's on the table and you just can you can't buy like the expensive shoes in general we need to create less waste so we have to be conscious about the choices we're making i therefore also talk about like some of the eco-friendly vegan shoes that exist uh and i don't think this is the chapter that gets into leather alternatives but there is a chapter that's sort of related to that that gets into like all of the great leather alternatives that exist, which was also something I chatted about with a recent guest here, Nicole Rawling, on our hen house, uh, because there's so much innovation in that realm. But this talks about your wardrobe and um, creating cruelty-free versions of your wardrobe and and also contextualizes it like, do you need to get rid of your all of your leather belts at once when you go vegan? The answer is yes or no. I mean, the answer is just you You do you. Like if, if you aren't in a place to be able to do that, then don't do it. It might take you years. It might take you a decade to get rid of all of your leather belongings. It might or take you, you a week. Right. You might choose to just get rid of all of it and then switch it over. I, I don't think there is one right way of moving forward except to do so without animal products being purchased and consumed. All right, this this section is from self-righteousness is for losers. <laughs> Just as we're not all self-righteous, neither are we a bunch of sad sacks crying our eyeballs out and thinking about death all the time. Well, you know, I kind of am, but that's, <laughs> I, I, I do me. What can I say? Um, many who stop eating animals do so because they have a firm resolution to show up better for themselves and for the world. That relentless self-examination often coexists with a deep empathy toward all beings and a refusal to be complacent. So tell us a little bit about this chapter and why you felt the need to include instructions about, about well, not instructions, but uh, commentary on why we're not all self-righteous. And so shut up, everybody. Well, actually, there are instructions. I think that's the chapter that has a sidebar at the end that's called How to Not Be an Asshole. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it now. Okay, so there are instructions. Yeah, I I mean, I will self-righteously tell you about this chapter. (laughs) Just because we're right doesn't mean we're self-righteous. I think that like that, that's it. That's what I discuss in the chapter. And yeah, some people were assholes before they went vegan. They're still assholes. There are a lot of vegan assholes. I mean, like, let's be real. Well, there's a few non-vegan ones, too. (laughs) And there's a few non-vegan assholes. Just like meat, meat, you know, food can taste bad or good whether it's vegan or not vegan. I I don't think that, you know, food that's not vegan should ever be consumed because there are ethical cruelty-free alternatives. But like you can, you know, like when you don't, when you're not yet vegan, you can eat a meal made of meat and think that it tastes good before you understand the suffering that went into it. Just like if you eat a vegan meal, you could think it tastes good. Same thing with bad food. This talks about all of the different ways that we can show up as good communicators show uh, while still being true to our our beliefs and our ethics and that's hard and that's something that we we are exploring every day even though i've been vegan for 17 years you've been vegan for like at least 25 probably more than that we still have to constantly revisit how we message our veganism so this is what that chapter is about all right this final excerpt is a salute to 2021 because it's entitled "You Can Be Vegan and Travel and Not Die." Because currently, oh my you god, be, you can't be anything and travel wow, and not die. Wow, plot twist! <laughs> All right, here 
Let's let's do this chapter. I mean, this paragraph. If you're traveling with someone who is persnickety or impatient, then get a new travel buddy. Just kidding. Kind of. No, but really, if you find that you're saddled with travel companions who find your veganism exhausting instead of intriguing, see whether you can create some ground rules together, including deciding to only eat at places that have options for you or agreeing to separate for at least one meal a day so that you can try an amazing lunch or dinner at a fabulous restaurant while your travel buddy is eating the same old boring meat dish that will likely give them a sour stomach. But we digress. Don't let anyone dim the light of your veganism, least of all your travel companions. One of the very best parts of eating vegan is creating a sort of photo essay of your meals. So load up some apps, get your Instagram ready, and go already. Oh, please. Let's let's make this the year that we can go already. Right. But in the meantime, we can do some like virtual tourism, you know? Yes. You know, when you were reading that, first of all, you should have read my audiobook. Oh, you read your audiobook brilliantly. So no, I don't think that's true. Okay, well, thank you. But while you were reading that, I swear in my head, I was singing like um, Memories by, you know, Barbara Streisand. And I was going through all of the like hundreds of trips we've taken together. And so many of them were based around vegan food, including our two cross country drives that we've taken, like which are uh, documented on our hen house or in the early years of our hen house. And we we would go out of our way to like go from vegan restaurant to vegan restaurant, you know, and that is pretty much the most fun that I've had in this in this world so far is doing that. I love it. I mean, internationally as well. And, you know, make some vegan road trips when you're able to, when it's safe to do so. And if your friends don't get that, then they don't get the best part of you. And that's something to examine. I could not agree more. Like building a building a trip around something is really great. But building it around vegan restaurants is just the best thing in the world. Because also I like to, to do it with um, public transportation. Another thing that has gone by the board in this year. So when we get back to the real world, uh, yeah, build your trip around vegan restaurants. It takes you to all these different neighborhoods, which you never mm-hmm. would have seen otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times the people are like super excited that you're there. If they, you know, if, if it's a place where you can manage to strike up a conversation, uh, it's it's the best thing ever. And you find all this great food like everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's great food everywhere. That was really fun, Marianne. I just want to say seriously how much that meant to me that you just did that because I didn't plan any of that uh you know for for tots top of the show as we call it tots I love that so thank you that made me really happy excellent and the book makes me really happy I think everybody should get it obviously because Jasmine really needs the money oh my god I actually will never (laughs) see the money but okay that aside like you know how book publishing works you get in advance to be more honest it's not that you need the money Jasmine really needs the love Oh, my God. <laughs> but aside from that, like you should get it for yourself because there's loads of stuff in here that you won't know because, you know, not everybody knows everything. But right. this is the gift book because it has the recipes in there. It has beautiful photographs of the recipes. Mm-hmm. People will think, oh, recipes. And then they will have all of this information like drawing them in. So it really is. It's it's the gift book for the people who are on the fence. Thank you. Let me just say one more thing and then we could pivot away from it. First of all, thank you. Second of all, I do say this in the acknowledgments, but and and I know you're going to be annoyed that I'm bringing this up, but like I have many, many years of thinking about veganism and animal rights and a lot, if not all of my thoughts originally stemmed from your brain. 
So I, I did give you credit where credit is due at the end of this. I really hope I'm not responsible for every thought you've ever had because <laughs> that's scary. Okay, no, you're not responsible for every thought I've ever had, but I have formed my thoughts around veganism based on our hundreds of thousands of conversations. And like, not only did I ask you for your input as I was writing this, but I happened to have notes from every workshop we've ever given. So I was pulling them up and a lot of those were originally formed by you. So yes, I can have a clever turn of phrase, but the soy meat, the coconut meat of it was largely due to your influence. So I'm very grateful. Well, I I don't think that's true, but to the extent I was responsible for any of it, I'm very pleased that you actually managed to put it out in the world and in in a way that people w- might enjoy reading it. And I think people will enjoy reading it. So it muzzle top, which is also largely thanks to Veg News. Also, I just want to also say that you know I am co I wrote the book, but I am co-authored on the byline because the uh, Veg News team is the one who gave me all of the recipes. And I worked very tirelessly with Colleen Holland, the publisher at Veg News, who has been really stepping up with all of the incredible marketing you've been seeing. That's all Colleen. Like she she works 24-7 on this and on Veg News. And, and I couldn't ask for a better partnership with this. So if you're going to write a book, <laughs> like have a great, big, beautiful, fabulous brand behind you and... And it will be a much more gratifying experience than like when three people buy your book. So anyway, we can move on. I appreciate it. The book is called The Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan. You can get it wherever books are sold. I recommend getting it through your local indie bookstore or through bookshop.org. I did the audiobook as well, so you could get that too. All right, let's move on. Are we going to the business section now? We are. The business section, which we feature every week. This time... We tried to find one that had a holiday-themed treat, and the one I came up with was Maxine's Heavenly, which is a vegan cookie company that is featuring two holiday flavors, gingerbread and chocolate peppermint candy cane. And I guess the holidays are almost over, but not quite. So uh, Maxine's cookies, and and there's plenty of non-holiday recipes as well. Her cookies are made with lots of oats and unrefined sugars. Uh, so, you know, they're healthy-ish while still being delicious. And they're available at maxinesheavenly.com. They're also in lots of stores. So check out their website for their store locator. You might be able to just pick them up. And the vegan business section is something that we've been doing since the beginning of COVID because so many businesses are suffering this year. And we really want to support them, especially vegan businesses and especially for that matter, black owned vegan businesses. So we are making sure that we always include one of those. So with that in mind, this is one of those trips that I would love to take that we just mentioned, but I would love to go to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where I must say I have not been ever. And I would like to go there because nestled in the heart of Charlotte, North Carolina, there is a, a chef, Chef Velvet, who founded this all-vegan soul food restaurant, Veltree, V-E-L-T-R-E-E. And their incredible menu offerings uh, are really drool-worthy. They include chicken and waffles, cornbread, rice with gravy, and so much more. So if you're in in the area, then you could get it. If not, join me in following them on Instagram, which I can tell you really helps a business. So Veltree Vegan. They do have deliveries through, you know, outside delivery services. So, Well, for the area of Charlotte, yeah. Like through DoorDash and, and yeah. Yeah. So on Instagram, they are Veltree Vegan, V-E-L-T-R-E-E Vegan. And as as you were saying to me earlier, it is more important than ever that we support our local vegan restaurants, really, truly, because 
a lot of them are really reaching the end of the road. Oh, I just gave myself like chills and almost cried. I'm I'm so upset about the fact that they've been going for a long time. I know. On, I know. Not making enough money. And sooner or later, yeah, you know, they have no choice but to throw in the towel. Our beloved Candle Cafe. I know. Just found out is closing in New York City. And of course, the other candles had already closed. So this was the last candle to dim, uh, you know, to blow out, as it were. I think that at this point, we can kind of see the end of the tunnel. We're beginning to like get some hope in our lives because of the vaccines. But, you know, don't fool yourself. There's still a long way to go before we get to that end of the tunnel. And there's a, there's probably a few roadblocks in between there. And, you know, when we do get there, we want some place to be able to go out and celebrate. So keep your vegan businesses and keep your vegan restaurants going. And keep talking about veganism, keep changing the world for animals. And I think this is a perfect time to segue to our truly extraordinary, fabulous, as it were, guest. Yes, absolutely. Amy Kichis is the founder of Veggie Mijas, a woman of color collective that highlights the importance of veganism through the lens of those with marginalized identities. Veggie Mijas has chapters in several states and cities. In addition to organizing vegan folks of color on a national basis, provides resources for folks in these cities on how to learn more about the food system. She also has a commitment to continuously bring awareness to the Latinx community and to fight against gender violence, sexual assault, gender and sexual inequality, queer discriminations and racial issues. She'll be joining Jasmine right after this. Our Hen House has a family of podcasts. In addition to the Our Hen House podcast, which you're listening to right now, you can also listen to the Animal Law podcast or the Teaching Jasmine How to Cook Vegan podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear and what's not to like, please, please leave us a friendly review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us tremendously because that's how we grow. And that's how we reach more and more people with information on how to change the world for animals. Thanks for listening. Welcome to our hen house, Amy. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. And I appreciate you getting up early to chat with me this morning. We've been really looking forward to interviewing you for a while. The work you do is super cool and super interesting. So for those of our listeners who are not yet familiar, can you tell us about Veggie Mijas and how it came into being? Yeah, so Veggie Mijas is a folks of color national collective where we get together to talk about our marginalized identities and how they intersect with our plant-based lifestyle. It was created in 2018 and it started in New York City with its first potluck. And it really wasn't supposed to be this national collective. At first, it was just an Instagram to collect some recipes. And folks were just really excited to finally see a group of people that look like us to share more than just recipes, but to actually have more conversations about how food justice really impacts our backyards. And not only was New York City interested, but then Oakland, LA, and a bunch of other cities wanted their own chapters too. And it kind of just grew organically in order to have all of these events and conversations in their own cities. So now we have 12 chapters. 
national. Wow. Is that, does that kind of blow your mind a little bit or did you, because I can imagine that like on one hand, it's like, yeah, I figured this would be a worldwide phenomenon, but on the other hand, it's like, oh my gosh, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Like, what? <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, it was really wild, but I think in the beginning, like I've always kind of had strategy strategies in order for folks to find each other. When I started, I created a spreadsheet and I separated it by city through tabs. And I started just collecting names of people and their emails and their information through, through cities. So that way they can all find each other. Um, and when they did, they were like, Oh, Hey, we want to start this movement too in our city. So it was, it was kind of like meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so much. Now I, you mentioned, and I've read that your veganism is very connected to your worldview and you clearly seem to see it as part of a whole. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So I would say that I'm very like plant-based because you know, it really connected me to my family, my dad in particular. Uh, I'm from Peru and Colombia, but my dad was telling me of, you know, the story of quinoa and how like it's so pricey here because obviously like just like the trading and all of that stuff. But in Peru, it's actually considered like poor people food or just like working class. And my dad, when he didn't have that much to eat that day um, or didn't have money to buy like a proper meal, quinoa was where he got most of his proteins with like melted apples in them. So I thought it was just like really interesting of like how here, like it's just so pricey and quinoa, you know, it was like a trend at some point. And that was our food, right? And folks make fun of vegans, but you know, we're, we're the original starters of it before right. it even had a vegan title to it. Right. I think it's, it's really just connecting about where your people came from and asking those questions, right. In order to be connected more to your food. And with that in mind, and you kind of are already in this subject matter, but what do you mean by decolonializing your diet? I think it's more about like, seeing how the process of colonization was and how how that affected our food and the way that we think. So for example, like the phrase, you are what you eat, like that even is part of colonization because it's like they gave us those foods in the first place and then they were like, oh, this is what you are. So it's, it's very interesting to see how a lot of what is around us in our hoods, like it's really not our choice. And we think it's our choice, right? Because we see these fast foods, we see that the art, this is our only option. So we think we have a choice of like different variety of fast foods. When you go to the Upper East Side or something, you see Whole Foods and all of this like organic vegan, vegan meals that is obviously not done like by coincidence. <laughs> right. So it's really about thinking like, what kind of choices are they making for us? Where did we come from? What, like questioning everything around us, questioning how our food got to our plate, you know? And I think also part of, part of decolonizing is just really being happy with like what you're eating too, because there's just so, um, so much like thinking of how food is bad for you and any food is bad for you. And I think vegans also have this kind of mindset, right? Of, oh, everything is bad for you. But it really, I feel like, folks don't know how triggering 
that can be for folks with like food disorders. So it's just having all of these points of views and intersectionality, if you will say, with the way that you think about food. Right. It's not always so cut and dried and it can be overly simplified in some vegan messaging, especially vegan messaging that is originated by white vegan activists. So with that in mind, how can white vegan activists expand our activism to better include and center those from the global majority and those with fewer financial resources, for example? Mm -hmm. I would say just if any opportunity arises, like really center vegans of color. If you hear of anyone saying something, just pulling in a plug, like, oh, wow, like that's really problematic. And maybe like, that's not my place to, to say, so you should follow like this and that. So just really centering folks of color. And then also I would say like, put your money where it's at. If you have any additional resources to donate, totally donate to vegans of color. If you don't have money or finance resources, I would also say, say like other resources, right? So Veggie Me has now not so much because of COVID, but before there was like a lot of in-person events and, and vegans, white vegans would come up to us and be like, Hey, like I own a restaurant or I know a friend that owns a restaurant. Like we can have an event in, in their space or we can provide X, Y, and Z. So I think like giving those resources are also important. So, okay. You mentioned that you had a lot of in-person events and I have a couple questions about this, both like pre-COVID and now during COVID. And then let's jump into the future for like post-COVID because, you know, fingers crossed. But speaking of pre-COVID, I know that potlucks were an important part of Veggie Mijas' work. Can you describe one of those potlucks and tell us why they were so effective? Yeah. So we had a potluck. I would say my favorite, I'm trying to think of like my favorite one. There were so many, but I think one of my favorite ones was when we did like a potluck in this yoga space. And for me, I think it was so important because it really gave the opportunity for folks to say what a lot haven't been comfortable saying in ve- in white vegan spaces. So talking about eating disorders, talking about how, why they became vegan and how it related to health issues in their community and also like personally in their family. It gave them space to talk about how their parents really didn't support veganism and how they would, you know, add chicken or meat into their smoothies in order for them to get protein. It just, it just opened the door to so many conversations of, of our life and our family and how, you know, it wasn't being supported and all of this. And I think at the end, like a lot of folks were like, wow, like I've never said that to to white vegan Mm -hmm. people or like people in general, because they don't get it. Right. Because there's a lot of people that make fun of vegans. It's not just white people, but yeah, I think, I think that's my favorite because I potlucks really, make a space for folks to connect through food. And I think food is the best way to connect with everybody, right? And vegan food is the most, I would say, accessible for folks to eat. Like everyone that doesn't eat specific things or you're allergic to something, I think like vegan food is like the most comfortable food to to share Mm -hmm. and accessible. So 
I think potlucks are, are really great in order to connect with people and the history of potlucks as well in, in queer spaces too. And the majority of folks in Benjamiha are queer. So yeah. That's so cool. Yes, they have played a, a part for a long time in queer spaces for sure. I mean, I remember, you know, back in college, which was 20 years ago for me, I remember, you know, that was it. That was the only way you would know <laughs> if someone was also queer. So <laughs> I that, you know, kind of being a- adopted for these purposes. And, and now here we are in 2020. Is it over yet? <laughs> but um, <laughs> how, how have you been able to pursue Veggie Mijas' work during the pandemic, especially given the fact that these in-person ev- events were so vital to your work before COVID? Yeah, it was a lot of internal work um, and internal structure. And well, first, I would want to say that we took time to look how to look at how the community was going to be affected. So in March, we completely didn't do anything. And it was mostly more about seeing how we can help, visualizing how we can help and taking that space. And also because obviously like we were all going through something, so (laughs) we couldn't just, you know, go right into digital work. Right. So it was, we took a break and then after we got together and our team of like 30, I would say folks, we would come together and have like conversations and seeing how virtual events would work, talking about zoom fatigue because it's real, Um, And seeing how we can still engage with the outer world that's not just Instagram, right? Because I think one of the main points of Vegemias is that we just don't throw the word community around as as many people do. Just to say like, oh, we're serving community and the only like (laughs) the community you're serving is Instagram community. Um, (laughs) So so we make sure to, to still while having in-person events, but also like following all of the procedures of COVID and seeing what difference can we make and how we can help. So there has been events like Clothing Drive. LA has had community fridges that they're working on and it's a long-term project. There has been events like that, but there has also been a lot of virtual events like going to the farm sanctuary, Denver's having drinking with chickens. So it's just really Wait, what's drinking with chickens? Yeah, they're just gonna drink with the chickens. Like <laughs> that's in person, actually. It is drinking <laughs> with chickens. Okay. I feel like I need to go to Denver right now. <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. So okay, part of what you just described it involved some type of self-reflection as well, which I think most of us have been doing this year, you know, as we're, you know, some of us are faced with mortality in a new way, that of our, you know, our loved ones. Some of us are faced with pausing in a pretty dramatic way, either by choice or it's foisted upon us. With all of that in mind, what do you see as happening like post-COVID? How will this year change your approach to, to your events and your advocacy? Or will it? Yes, it will. I think it will take some time for folks to actually trust that whatever post-COVID is. And I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I barely know what's going on now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we just don't know what the future holds. But I think that anything that we prepare for 
like we're all set. I know that the co- the other co-founder, Mariah, she's taking co-op classes with Destiny, our coordinator. I know that she's building an awesome education workshop from scratch for Veggie Mija. She's doing incredible work. And I think that we have a lot of in store uh, for the future for Veggie Mijas, not just through our organizing work, but also structurally and the internal work that needs to happen in order for, you know, the external work to keep on shining. Can you speak more to the internal work? Like, do you mean of the organizers? Do you mean of those who are attracted to Veggie Mijas in the first place? What do you mean when you say internal work? What I mean is having, we have a really solid structure with organizers. We have a bunch of collective calls. We have a bunch of resources, but we also have monthly topics and giving resources to our organizers and people that are in the collective are super important. So we have talks like anti-blackness and veganism. We have topics like ASL tutoring. So it's just really cool to just build with the people that are in Vajmihas. And then secondly, I also mean We have long, short and long-term goals for everyone throughout the collective. And one of our long-term goals is to have a solid educational program in order to continue teaching to younger kids. And we also have like university talks. So it's just, that's what I mean by internal work, like a bunch of seeing how we're working towards our future. Okay. And you mentioned going into schools. I know that you have done some work in elementary schools. Tell us what that was like. Yeah. It's so much fun. Oh my gosh. Kids, kids love it. Like we, we cook for them and talk about food justice. And these kids are like, wow, like I never, I never realized veganism was so easy, you know, because we, what we do is we bring food that they already know. And they're, and we're like, oh, hey, this is vegan. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, uh, what's vegan? And I was like, yeah, like the first step to veganism is basically like seeing what's already vegan that you eat, right? So kids love that and kids are always amazed. So it's been really, really great. And then for older kids, like they're just amazed that, you know, we can start this platform right off of Instagram and that you can have community work outside of social media and how, and how that grew through Instagram. So it's always about finding your voice, finding your passion, and finding what, what you want to change in the world. This all started on Instagram, right? Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I do think that oftentimes Instagram is second. Like a, a program starts, or a nonprofit starts, or like a community starts, and then there's a sort of half-assed attempt to have <laughs> Instagram follow it. But yours was Instagram first, right? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) it was like I said, it was really unexpected. And I think that's such a key because it wasn't expected. The community just really showed up like the people just really showed up. And it was because it was it was never really done before. This was the first all vegans of color collective, right? There's a lot of all folks of color vegan groups, such as Food Empowerment Project, which is incredible. And clearly the foundation or our ancestor work, right? But Veggie Mijas was was the first collective. And I think that's why people were so um, intrigued to being a part of it. 
Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it sounds like you really have filled a void and continue to. And, you know, with that in mind, I'd love to know your thoughts on what it means to see veganism through a feminist, queer, leftist lens. Just <laughs> like, like a small question for your, your um, uh, Wednesday morning. <laughs> right. I think, you know, well, I'm always prepared. You ready now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting that about you. <laughs> so I think veganism through this perspective is really just working towards dismantling all oppressions, including speciesism, but also how that intersects with folks of color. So you know, learning about how this affects workers in farm factories, right? And how that really just ingrains this violence of of that and then bringing that home and what that can lead to, whether that's women's violence or, or gender violence or anything else. Looking at, at sort of how things intersect and and why and knowing that veganism isn't just one thing it it isn't just about animals but it's about a lot of a lot of intersectionalities and i think that's why um you know we we fight for that and we fight for the liberation of all animals and all people hmm. I love that. That resonates a lot with me as someone who considers myself all of all of those things, vegan, feminist, queer, and lefty. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I appreciate the way that you package it and, and talk about it. I think it can be overly complex for some people, but really it's, it, it is pretty simple. It's just like doing what's right and being inclusive in our approach. You mentioned that plant-based eating aligns with the cultural history of many marginalized groups when you told your story about quinoa, for example. With with all of that in mind, do you feel that indigenous and other truly traditional food ways should be the basis for plant-based eating? I, w- I would say like that's not something I can claim or something I can talk about because I'm not indigenous. I'm indigenous descent. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. that that's all I can say about that. Um, but I do think that it is an, an important and it lifestyle and it shouldn't be erased, but that, do, that doesn't mean that all indigenous people practice or practice plant-based lifestyle. Now you mentioned before that food empowerment project, which we've, we've had them on several times, but talked about food justice. I would love just, you know, your perspective on how plant-based eating aligns with food justice. Okay. Well, I think that's basic. It's basically what I've said before about like choices that we don't really have. I think also just in terms of food justice and how, you know, we see the transportation of food and how workers aren't paid. And I know that Food Empowerment Project talks a lot about that, about workers in the cho- in the chocolate industry and also like in fruits and how they're not paid and how they're being exploited. I think it's, veganism isn't the savior of it all. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm what I'm trying to say, I think. And even if you're eating all of these things, like people are still being exploited. So I think it comes from also a perspective of like, okay, vegan isn't saving it all, but it is doing something, right? It is at least bringing awareness. It's bringing the conversation to the table. It's a lot of like a lot of issues that, that it brings awareness to. And I think, and I think that's, what's important as well. 
Yeah, I I mean I again I think I agree and I I I think a lot of people tend to feel oh veganism is going to save everything if you need to save the world or your or yourself or whatever anything insert the blank just go vegan and your particular set of circumstances are irrelevant because we just need to go vegan <laughs> and I you know it it can be it 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 can be a bit more complicated than that sometimes with you know food deserts and the type of outreach being done in those various communities and it isn't necessarily going to just be as easy as one two three for every single family especially when those families have a lot stacked against them in terms of socioeconomic factors as well as maybe what is is around them like you know, are they in a food desert? Are they in a position where they're actually fighting to stay alive? <laughs> and that's right. the main thing in their in their scope that day. It's not necessarily like what kind of tempeh should I get and how should I season it. It's like how am I going to keep me and my family safe through the rest of the day? I'm flailing my arms and knocking things over. Whatever. <laughs> So switching gears, Amy, uh, can you tell us about your degree program and how, if at all, food justice enters into it and into the goals for the future of the degree program? That is such a great question. So currently I'm at American University and I'm studying ethics, peace and human rights in the International School Service. As of now, we have not talked about food, but... I can see how it intersects with the way that folks are oppressed in many different ways throughout the world. And I can also see how not food particularly, but climate justice is a huge talk about in our school. And I think learning more about that has definitely opened my eyes to more oppression of the world <laughs> and how climate Climate change really just affects it all, but not not much necessarily food. But I think that in the future, because I just kind of started, I, this is like my first real semester. I had like summer classes. I definitely would want to have classes that either relate to food justice, climate justice, or any kind of environmental justice as well, because I know that it would intersect for sure. That's inspiring. I'm glad to hear it. It's it is always a little mind-boggling to me that there aren't more, you know, that there's not more attention put on food in, in <laughs> it can be really it can be really frustrating sometimes, but then it can be really emboldening for me to understand that there are there are folks like you who understand it even if it's not in your textbooks. And- yeah. I remember actually veganism came up in my, in my class at NYU and a lot of people just didn't get it. And it was just me and my friend that were both vegan. And my professor was like, wow, I just really did not expect this conversation today. (laughs) And it was like, well, it needs to be brought up because (laughs) it's important. Um, and a lot of people just didn't know how to react to it. So it's like, it's like that meme, like, if you're vegan, everyone's going to know. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. How do you know uh, if a vegan walked into the room, they tell you exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So I, I I would love it if you stayed on for a few minutes for the for the bonus content, because I have a couple more questions about that. But But before we get to that, I have one final question for this interview, Amy, which is, you know, this has been a really wrought, trying time for our country and and beyond. 
And I would find it, sometimes I just am so grateful that I'm in my 40s. Sometimes I'm just so grateful that I already did the young the young person stuff because I feel like I would be really weighed down by the world right now if I was just on the up and up, you know, just starting my career, et cetera. But you have such positivity and you have such like productivity. And I'm just wondering if you could let me know how you do that and what gives you hope. Yeah, that's a really good question because I know a lot of folks are struggling right now. And even me, to be hella transparent, in the beginning, I kind of like zoned it. I mean, I had the privilege of zoning it out because it's just me and my partner in the house. But obviously not completely because my my family was in Jackson Heights um, because I'm from New York. And everyone in the building had covid And I was like, oh my God, if my parents, like, that's it. Like my mom, like she has health issues. And so in the beginning I was like, oh, like, I'm just going to stay at home and not talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. But then three days later I was like, oh wait, I can't do that. (laughs) That is the main point of activism is that like folks of color and folks like working class, we can't just switch it off. And it's every day that we're like living with, you know, some kind of oppression and, and that really just drives activism, right? Like we're not choosing to be activists. Like we, we don't have that choice necessarily is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what really drives me to just continue to do the work with Vajmihas because I truly love it, but also like in perspective, like there's not really of that much of a choice, right? Because we go through this and living in Jackson Heights, I feel like uh, it's around my house. I live by the airport. There's like no food, like at all. Like it was, it's just Popeyes and Dunkin' Donuts and like mm-hmm. this like little ratchet Italian place. It's just there's mm-hmm. just no options. And every time I think of that, I'm like, I can't imagine like how many more people are like that, and, and you know, in in conditions that they might identify as worse or, or different. Mm. But yeah, so I think that's what drives me. And then for productivity, I just, I just keep pushing. Like I have a full-time job and I have a Jimihas and I have grad school mm-hmm. and there is not much time for self-care. So I talked to my therapist and she was like, you have to write down your, self-care things and whenever you have a bit of time to look at that list and do what calls you because sometimes when I do have a break I'm just on my phone and I'm like not doing anything and I'm like why do I feel like I have to do something Mm -hmm. like that drive where like oh my gosh like my hands are jittery I'm always breathing heavy I'm always like oh my god (laughs) I have something to do right now mm-hmm. but like you have to look at your list so I think that has been really working for me because it's something that I can visually see or visually check off because I'm such like an organizer person <laughs> I, I have like a whole to-do list so yeah I that's that's what I do so in in that list I have taking baths coloring painting going on dates with my girlfriend doing little things that that bring me happiness that's good i i think that's great advice too for people like 
it sounds like we have some things in common, just that like need to be doing something and that need to be doing activism and that need to be working and whatnot. So to have the lists, even if the lists are self-care, that can be really useful in terms of sanity. And, and even for me, even if that list is like really tiny little things, like stand up and stretch or like literally walk around go outside for like one minute and like okay. I mean, it can it doesn't have to all be a revolution it can it can just sometimes be you know a, a few a few seconds of shifting mm. the energy so that's inspiring and a good lesson for me I have to do that today so thanks for that <laughs> um, can you tell our listeners how they can find you online and support your efforts yeah they can find my personal Instagram at I'm secretly a cop <laughs> you can find uh, Veggie Mijas at Veggie Mijas, M-I-J-A-S. And you can also go on our website. We relaunched our store and we have a cookbook that the organizers and folks in the collective have made. All the, pr- the money goes to organizing work in our communities or any supplies that they need, etc., And there's a bunch of other things in there as well. And all the money goes to us. So there's tote bags and pins and a bunch of great stuff. So Mm -hmm. awesome. Well, Amy, if you can stick on for a few minutes, that would be awesome. I I have questions for the flock who are our supporters. But in the meantime, thank you so much for all that you're doing to change the world for animals and, and for so many others as well. It's, it's really a breath of fresh air to speak with you and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. And I love talking to you soon. Thank you so much. Greetings, everybody. This is Jasmine Singer, and I wanted to make sure you knew about my new book, The Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan. Look good, feel good, and do good in 30 days. Brand new from Hachette in December 2020. Want to be fabulous? Go vegan. Maybe you're interested in it for the food, maybe it's the animals, or maybe climate change has got you thinking. Whatever your reason, maybe you don't quite know where to start. After all, doesn't going vegan mean you have to give up tasty snacks and cool shoes and a sense of humor in your leather couch? Nope, nope, no way, and well, eventually. Covering everything from nutrition, you will get enough protein, promise, to dating, vegans have better sex, it's true. To fitness, you want to lift a car over your head? Sure. I am joining with the team at Veg News to bust all the myths and giving you all the facts about a plant-based lifestyle. With 30 easy recipes to get you started, the Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan will help you adopt a vegan lifestyle that's better for you, the animals, and the planet. And what's more fabulous than that? Get your copy today wherever books are sold or go to jasminesinger.com slash fabulous. Remember, there's no E on Jasmine. It's J-A-S-M-I-N-S-I-N-G-E-R dot com slash fabulous. The Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan. Anxieties are rising. End of year anxieties. They're some of the best. Our first story today is from Drovers.com. It is one of our favorite writers from Meeting Place, Hannah Thompson-Weeman. She's writing for Drovers. And her question is, what's next for animal activism in 2021? And what can we do about it? She's pointing out that the Animal Ag Alliance, which is who she works 
for has remained, quote, focused on monitoring animal rights activism this year, and activist groups have not skipped a beat in their efforts to damage the reputation of animal agriculture. Well, yeah, that's right, <laughs> by telling the truth. Um, she goes on to say, some organizations believe the COVID-19 pandemic is the, quote, tipping point they need for their messages to go mainstream. And that concept, combined with activists trying to take advantage of a new incoming administration, take advantage of them. <laughs> it's like hilarious. Oh, I wish we were as powerful as you think we are, Hannah. Anyway, that means that 2021 could be an even more intense year for activism. Well, from your uh, pen to to God's ears or to somebody's ears anyway. One of the things that she's concerned about is uh, messaging, and not surprisingly, involving public health and animal agriculture. And yeah, <laughs> no shit. This is going to be front of the line. And she thinks we are going to see more and more references to farms as, quote, breeding grounds for future disease outbreaks. Yeah, exactly. Because they are. We need people to realize that. And the faster we can, this, is, this really is the opportunity. Maybe we really are at a tipping point. Another thing she expects, she's very disapproving of, is a renewed focus on sustainability. She expects there, for example, to be major restaurant chains like Panera and Chipotle to follow up on announcements that they're going to have new labeling programs to communicate the environmental footprint of their menu options. Of course, she thinks all of this is 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 wrong. It's just, it's not, I mean, they shouldn't be saying this because, because meat is so sustainable. All right, her, her next point, I love this one. Large-scale protests and demonstrations, including at private homes. If you have any question that demonstrations rattle them. I mean, there haven't, you know, like demonstrations this year, in spite of the enormous efforts of groups like particularly Direct Action Everywhere and other groups holding uh, demonstrations and really, really, you know, pushing the envelope here. This year, they've been incredibly hampered by COVID. Well, she thinks that's going to change, and I think she might be right. As she points out, animal rights activist organizations have held several protests at the private homes of animal agriculture company and organization leaders, which is a troubling new trend. Well, if I were an animal agriculture company and organization leader, I would be troubled. That's for sure. And apparently they are. All right, this one is just depressing. EU backs, quote, bizarre campaign urging public to become beefetarians. Yes, I'm not making this up. This is from our friends at Plant-Based News, so they have a negative attitude towards it as well. They're pointing out that the, the European Union has financed more than 3.5 million euros to help the, quote, proud of European beef initiative to run for three years. Like, what? Like, beef? Like, have these people heard about climate? I don't know. Like, what's wrong with these people? This is taxpayers' money. They're trying to make consumers, quote, confident about their decision to eat red meat. And according to plant-based news, uh, they're, they're spending all of this money to uh, highlight the benefits of the product and to make the consumer feel identified and supported in its choice regarding it. Product, of course, being dead cows. Those customers who choose to eat red meat should feel at ease should they wish to reaffirm their choice for this product. This is just, this is pathetic. I mean, really pathetic. If people are, like, the smallest step possible in the, the easiest way possible is to at least give up eating cows. I mean, from an animal rights position, that's not the most most powerful thing you can do because, you know, for the, the, the gruesome 
calculation of how many lives are lost is far greater for birds than for for cows. So if you're going to think of it from number of animals killed, beef isn't at the top of the list. But sustainability? Come on, people. We have a planet. Let's, like, try to keep it. All right. Amanda Radke is up in arms again this week. She's writing her Beef Daily column for Beef Magazine, connecting with kids to promote ag literacy in a pandemic. She's really upset because they have been unable to actually get into classrooms or whatever, but she has ideas. One of them has to do with uh, spreading books. And she points out, though she says it has nothing to do with this recommendation, that she is a children's book author and a co-owner of a publishing company, which is called, wait for it, Ag Storytellers. And what she wants people to do is to try to rectify the fact, which she thinks is particularly strong during this time of social distancing, the gap between producer and consumers that starts at a young age. Disney movies humanize animals, according to her. Well, they do, but do they really, you know, I wish Disney animals, Disney movies featuring animals did have more an effect on kids, but I don't see that they do. Scholastic. I didn't know this. Scholastic sends magazines to teachers and students that blame climate change on cheeseburgers. Well, imagine that. Scholastic tells the truth. And in the midst of all the misconceptions and negative rhetoric, young people simply aren't hearing from farmers and ranchers. Uh, but she wants that to change. She wa- she would love to have them in the schools. Um, but she, you know, she does realize that it's hard to like change classroom uh, agendas. But here's her idea. And one of the reasons I'm talking about this idea is because I think it's a great idea for us. Quote, we may not be able to influence curriculum presented in the classroom, but we can at least attempt to bridge the gap by ensuring there are plenty of agricultural books in the school libraries for kids to pick up and enjoy. Well, if they're doing that, we can do that too. I love that idea. I don't know how hard it is to get books into uh, into school libraries, but, you know, maybe it's not that hard. She doesn't seem to think it's that hard. And certainly, if they're taking books from the ag industry, they should be taking books from us. Books that not only portray animals as cute or as substitute humans, but that really explain to kids what are the issues involved when when you eat a hamburger. Not in an uh, adult way, in a way that, that children can hear without being traumatized to the point of, of being overwhelmed by the information. But here's an idea. How about letting them in on the truth? There's a radical educational idea. Some ideas for for uh, the coming year, activism, and uh, this week's Rising Anxieties. Well, that's it for this week's show. If you like the podcast, we're asking for your support as we kick off our end-of-year fundraising. We're excited to announce that if you contribute between now and December 31st, your donation will be tripled dollar for dollar up to $20,000. That means that with your donation, plus our Barnyard Benefactors and an added boost from an anonymous donor... We're hoping to raise $60,000 total for the year end. That's $20,000 from our Barnyard Benefactors, $20,000 from an anonymous donor, and $20,000 collectively from you. If you're not already part of the flock, we invite you to join for $10 a month or $100 a year. You'll get some really cool perks, including weekly bonus content, access to our private flock Facebook group, and an invitation to our weekly Friday Flock Zoom meetings for a fun and engaging conversation with me and Marianne and others in the Flock, plus special guests. Plus, if you donate $100 or more, I'll send you a personalized video message to show you my undying love and gratitude. 
So if you appreciate our hen house and if you believe in our mission to effectively mainstream the movement to end the exploitation of animals, if you find community and solace in our shows and our resources, and if you believe in the change-making power of indie media, please make a donation before December 31st and your donation will be tripled. Contributions of any amount are greatly appreciated. To support us today, visit ourhenhouse.org slash donate. That's ourhenhouse.org slash donate. Another great way to support us is to leave us a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or like us on Facebook. You could also leave us a review there. Or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Our Hen House across the board. If you shop on Amazon, you can use Amazon Smile using Our Hen House as your favorite charity. And we do get those uh, disbursements and they help a lot. So thank you for those of you who do. And of course, tell your friends about us. Tell your enemies about us. If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, and to the wonderful Jen Riley for her work in producing this podcast, and to composer Michael Herron for the music. Thanks to Podcast Haven for their work editing this podcast, and to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez. Thanks to our graphic designer, Lori Johnston from Two Trick Pony. We will be back next week with a brand new show. So don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Jasmine Singer. Thank you so much for tuning in and be safe out there. Social distance, stay home, wash your hands and listen to podcasts. <laughs>